I mean, cause I got really caught up in shit and like social media and having this and having that and being somebody and like, you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? That's going to be great. How am I going to be larger than life and X, Y, and Z. And, and it started to deplete me. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 40 of the Mad Happy Podcast. I'm Payman. And I'm Mason. We have a great conversation coming up with Stephanie Shepard that was really awesome and and we're excited to get to. But I think first, wouldn't feel right for us to not mention the situation in Ukraine and obviously the massive mental health implications that are being forced on millions of people, uh, both in the capital, Kiev and all around the country. We're seeing these harrowing images and videos every day. And I know it's personally weighing heavily on our souls and and something that is obviously not okay. And something that really is is hard to believe what's going on in 2022. and, And in this modern world is really unfathomable. And I think there's some cool organizations that you can donate to that are making a difference on the ground. And and we're going to link some of those in the show notes. If you're interested in learning more, one of the things that's been inspiring to see is, is all of the people who are banding together and some of the just normal civilians who are joining the forces there and who are really having unity and, and standing up to this oppression and what Russia is doing and, and really not backing down. I feel like in moments like this, it's it's so important to stay true to what we believe in and stand our ground. And, and ultimately for these people, it, it could mean their lives. So obviously really, really big mental health implications, like I said, and I think it's just important for all of us to not only keep them in our thoughts and prayers, but continue to talk about it, educate ourselves on it, uh, find ways that we can help and, and donate to people making a difference in the situation and just the more we can talk about things like this and, and understand how unacceptable they are, the more that we can do our part to try and make sure things like this really don't ever happen in the future. Cause this isn't a world that this isn't something that should ever happen in the world. And, and it's really just heartbreaking to see. Thank you, Mason. And I think one final note is it's, it's good to check in with your friends that you think may be impacted by this, you know, may be impacted by this. I think it goes a long way and it's hard for all of us, but definitely, um, you know, I can't even imagine what it's like for people who have relatives there, for people who are there right now. So definitely a scary time. But, you know, I think a word of encouragement does go a long way uh, in in supporting the people that need it right now. On that somber note, transitioning to, like you said, a great episode we have this week with uh, Stephanie Shepard, a really good conversation about identity you know i think she had an asian dad a white mom grew up in ohio moved to la uh without knowing anyone just just a really amazing story great to talk to her about how she found her way uh over the years and how she's thinking about her future and and what's to come for her so was really inspired by the conversation yeah i think it's always cool to talk to people that have been a part of kind of the the kardashian ecosystem i feel like for better or worse they get kind of labeled as Kim's this or Kendall's this, whatever. And ultimately, these people are so much more than that and have their own stories and their own lives that go far beyond that. And I think in Steph's case, moving to LA with nothing when she was 18 years old. And I think so many people kind of come out to Hollywood with with a dream and, and high hopes and aspirations. And just to hear her journey of of kind of making it and, and really coming out here with nothing and now being in a position uh, where she's opened a lot of doors for herself and other people, I think is super inspiring. And, and ultimately how she's been able to not let that Kardashian clan kind of define her identity uh, and who she is. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy the conversation. The Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism. Please enjoy the show with Steph Shep. Today, we are joined by Stephanie Shepard. Uh, Steph, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Uh, so we like to start every single episode with a prompt from our journal, uh, a question that we'll all answer just to kind of take everyone's temperature. And today's prompt is, what makes you feel optimistic? 
Oh, we're starting with me? Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, I feel like uh, this year, um, just like the beginning of the year, I know it's February already, like just like gives me optimism always on just like the things that I want to try to get better at uh, over the years. Um, and I think this year specifically, like in the past, I would always just like be harder on myself when like I didn't do everything I wanted to to do for that year. But like now I'm just trying to be like, okay, with just like small improvements over time adding up. Um, so I think I feel optimistic about just the year and like the opportunity that a new year gives. Steph, you're up. Um, man, that's a really, really good answer. Um, yeah, there is something really optimistic about starting a new year. I think everyone definitely feels that way. God, what does make me feel optimistic? I honestly, I haven't been pessimistic lately, but I've been like a little in a funk, you know, like in a weird haze of a place. I guess what makes me feel optimistic, honestly, is like the support of my friends because they've really been pulling me out of some, you know, sad moments or, you know, when I'm spiraling or something. And I had a really good call with one of my best friends, Sarah Riff, and she really just was so positive and, and uplifting. And it really like, it, it took me out of like the headspace that I was kind of spiraling and just made me feel like, okay, like I can do this. Like we're okay. Like I've got it. And so I'm really, I think the support of my friends makes me feel optimistic. Love that. That's a great one. Mace? Uh, for me, I think uh, we've been shooting this new collection like the last couple of days and have shot like over 30 people, like almost 40 different people from all different walks of life and, and, and ages and backgrounds and everything. And just, I would ask everyone like, like a mental health question after we shot them and to just hear how like passionate these people are about mental health and really like how many advocates and, and allies I meet and talk to like almost every single day, I think just has me really feeling so optimistic for the future of just like civilization and, and really how far mental health has come and how much further it has to go of like really building that into our daily lives and, and practices and really feel like each generation is starting to take it more seriously and more seriously. Um, so I'm optimistic about what a potential world could look like uh, where it's just something that's taught and understood and, and, and something that's kind of baked into everyone's life. Love that. Love that. Yeah. Cool. Steph, we like to start kind of at the beginning, like for you, um, can you give us a look into like your childhood, where you grew up, your family, siblings, anything that would be helpful just to get context of, you know, where you came from? Yeah, I, um, I am born and raised in Ohio, a super small town in Ohio called Ontario, Ohio. We're like not even, there wasn't even enough people to be like a city. We were like a township. So it's like very, very small. Damn. I was raised there by my mother. I guess I lived there until I was like 19 before I moved to LA. Yeah. Small town. I love, I, I love, I really do love going back. I, and I, and I have such like fond memories and feelings when I talk about being raised in Ohio that I didn't always, um, just because when you move to LA, sometimes I feel like you just want to fit in here. And I was kind of like, Oh, like I'm from Ohio. It's so not cool. But like, I love being from Ohio and I love being, you know, having that childhood and being raised there. And, and I feel like it really grounds me. And so I was, I grew up there with my mom. I'm an only child. My dad lives in Japan, moved to LA when I was 19. Well, Cause I, th I wanted I to think before we go there. I, I am curious, like, um, two questions really. One is growing up mainly with your mom and like, not with your dad. What, what are those like early memories or like what impact do you think that made down the line? And then also as an only child, I think that is also uh, unique and, and has impacted people in different ways. Curious uh, if, if you think that has played a role at all. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting now, you know, as an adult being able to really reflect on those types of things where I never really took that time or gave myself that space as like a young 20 something. But now in this stage of my life, I do often reflect on like, you know, your childhood really shapes who you are. And I've learned that. And, and even the good parts, the bad parts, even the things that you wouldn't think shaped you actually has such a huge impact on, on, on you as an adult. And, um, 
growing up an only child, I mean, I, I loved it. I think as an adult, I kind of wish I had siblings because um, I feel like I like missed out on that kind of like bond and love. But yeah, it was just me and my mom, you know, and I think it definitely gave me a little bit of a warped sense of reality because it was kind of like I was the center of the universe. And now as I've grown older, I understand that I'm very much not, but I wouldn't trade it. Honestly, I, we didn't have a big family. We don't have, you know, cousins and things. And, and, and I, and I do like yearn for that now to have a big family. I think it's really fascinating, but it was, we like, it was a quiet house. Like it was just, just me and my mom. And I don't know, I guess I don't know any different, but I think, I think it rate, I think it shaped me to be a really independent, self-sufficient person just because she was a single mom. And, you know, she instilled in me a lot of those values of like, you can do anything. Like there was no space where it was like, you need a man or you need this, or you need that. Like you can absolutely do anything. Like it, it, I grew up in a household that was like, you know how to change a tire. You know how to change a light bulb. Like we're not going to subscribe to this idea that like women can't do this on their own. And that message was really, was really, you know, dialed in for me at a young age. And so I think that really shaped how I am now as an independent grown up person. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that that's kind of what gave you the ultimate confidence to like make the move out to LA? Definitely. Because coming from such a small town, it's like, that that really isn't even on the radar, you know. A, a lot of people they just stay where they are and which is fine. But I think you know, she really made me believe and wanted me to believe that I could do anything and I could be successful anywhere and the sky's the limit. There was no rooftop, there was no ceiling, there was no, you know, goal too big or small and you know, I moved to Cleveland right after high school because she was kind of like yes, go to the big city for sure. But like, I'm not sure you understand how big of the city LA is compared to where I grew up. Because when you're a kid, it's all relative. You know what I mean? I'm like, Oh, like Ontario, Ohio, LA, same, same. Like I'm going to be, it's going to be equal. I'm going to be fine. So I'm glad that, you know, she gave that motherly advice saying, you know what, like maybe move to Cleveland for a year, go out on your own, And, and then you can, and then you can go to LA and I'm glad that I had that little buffer of experience of being out of my small town because when you're in it, you don't realize how small it is. And I'm like driving past cows on my way to go to high school. Like it was like very, very small. Um, so having that experience living in Cleveland in a bigger city before I moved to LA, definitely, definitely was necessary. Um, cause it's hard out here in LA and, and, and to, it's a culture shock for sure. It's very different. And, um, but she was always the most supportive and she packed up my car and we drove across the country, literally from Ohio to LA with like all the belongings I could fit. And like, I maybe had like $500 (laughs) and that was like, that was it. So she definitely was the most supportive. And what, and what was, you know, what was your dream? Like, what did you want to do? What was like the impetus to move to LA? I wanted to, I mean, specifically, like I wanted to be like a pussycat doll. I wanted to be like, I wanted to dance. I wanted to dance for Britney Spears. I wanted to go on tour. Um, I danced my entire life and I really wanted to work in the entertainment business. And as a small town kid from Ohio, everyone's like, okay, (laughs) you know, like, sure, sure. That'll happen for you. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's cool. Like, uh, Obviously, there's like the classic L.A. stereotype of like you come out here with nothing like a big city. You got dreams to make it and stuff. And I think you're such a great (laughs) example of like someone who actually did like for whatever that means. Right. Like able to build a life and and find success doing something. Um, What do you think like about you allowed you to kind of make it in that way? Or like what would you say to other people who kind of come out to L.A. with with those hopes and dreams? Yeah, I I, and I have, I've thought about this often, I think, and not to get too deep, but honestly, I think being for just specifically for me, I think being growing up, being the only Asian kid in a circumstance where no one else looked like me, I had to become really adaptable and I had to like learn how to fit in, in different ways 
no matter where I was or what kind of group of people that mm. I was with, or, you know, just, just kind of being a chameleon and being able to get along with different groups of people just out of feeling like I need to fit in because I'm different. Um, so being really adaptable and resourceful and kind of savvy in that way out here, I think definitely helped me, um, being able to be, to get along and to understand different kinds of people, even though I didn't have a lot of like world experience, you know, outside of Ohio, it's just kind of, it's the same thing. It's relationships. It's how you deal with people. It's how, you know, you're available to people or you're, you know, personable or whatever it is. Um, I think that definitely helped me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, It's interesting. Um, I moved to LA when I was six, I was born in Italy. My parents are from Iran, so I'm actually Persian, but I definitely felt like that, like out of placeness a little bit growing up. Um, and I've talked a lot about it on the show. Uh, I'm curious, like both in Ohio and then when you moved to L.A., like did you have experiences like that, like specifically made you feel that way? Um, or was it just more of like an innate thing? And it wasn't that anyone was like being mean to you specifically, but it was just clear that you were different. I think a little bit of both. I think my mom did a really she tried to do a really great job of always making me feel cause she's, you know, you know, obviously white, we don't really look alike. So I think for her, her experience must've been different growing up with an Asian baby and she's walking to the grocery store and people are like, where did you adopt her from? And she's like, no, no, no. Uh, yeah. Like I, this is my child. I was pregnant for nine months with her. And there definitely was that. I definitely remember, you know, things like that growing up, kind of people asking those questions or, you know, being younger and someone saying like, you know, are you adopted and and those kinds of things. And it's so it's interesting because I talk about it now with some of my Asian friends. It's just you don't realize it's not normal for people to ask you those questions. Mm. You know, I don't understand how my best friend with blonde hair and blue eyes like she doesn't. No one asks her where she's from. You know what I mean? No one asks if her mom is her mom or you know, what she is or what country she's from and all of those things I kind of just grew up with as a norm. So I didn't realize until later in life when I was able to have these types of conversations that that actually isn't, you know, what everyone experiences. And so, yeah, I mean, I definitely grew up with, you know, kids will, kids find things to make fun of you for. And I definitely have been called my fair share of names and and things that, you know, aren't nice, but for the most part, you know, I found a good group of friends and, you know, I was talking about this with, with one of my friends, they would always like my friend, my good friends would kind of make fun of my dad's name. He has a Japanese name and they would think it's like funny or his name is like different and like, Oh my gosh, like what's his name again? Like that kind yeah. of stuff that is harmless in, in, a, in, 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 in a sense, you know, but at the same time, it kind of made me feel like, Oh, I don't want to be different. Like I want, you know, your dad's name is Bill, you know, like it's easy. It's, it's quote unquote normal. And it kind of in a, in a way subconsciously, I guess, took me away from wanting to associate with any type of my Asian heritage. So growing up, you know, now I can look back and say, Oh, like that did hurt my feelings. And now I understand why that hurt my feelings. Yeah. And now, you know, I feel like things are so different that I'm being, I I feel comfortable and confident to explore that part of myself and to express that part of myself and to share that part of who I am. But, But yeah, it definitely wasn't, it definitely wasn't easy, but I think that's also lends itself to, you know, having a thick skin or being able to just kind of roll with the punches and, you know, not be so affected. It's funny because, um, I could relate to the name thing. My name's payment, which is like very hard, especially like when you're just meeting someone, um, now I appreciate it in many different ways and I feel like it's memorable, totally. but I'm curious because you grew up with your mom who was white, like, did you have a tie to like your Asian like heritage at all? Or like, was it not even really part of your life? And then as you got older, like, how did you then start to explore that more if at all? Yeah. So, you know, my mom did a really great job of wanting to introduce the culture to me you know, I mean, we're in the middle of Ohio in this random farm town, there wasn't a lot of different ethnicities. And I mean, I don't even think we had like a sushi restaurant or something in our town, you know, what I mean, to even see someone else that was Asian. So but you know, she 
would take me down to Columbus and we would shop at the Japanese market. You know, my dad would send little trinkets and things and chopsticks and kimonos and fans and little Japanese dolls and stuff. So it definitely, you know, was a part of my life for as long as she could keep me interested. I think when I got to the age where I, you know, when every kid doesn't want to do what their mom tells them and they have an attitude and, you know, want to like what they want to like and, and especially, you know, rejecting and not wanting to be different. I think there was a lot of, I started pushing back, like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, I don't want to eat seaweed mom. Like, don't give that to me. The kids are going to think I'm weird, you know? So I think she kind of backed off a little bit. So when I was a teenager, I kind of just was doing my own thing. And and I really, I really just wanted to fit in. Like I grew up in the era of like, you want to be blonde with blue eyes and like fair skin. Like that's what, that's what was beautiful. That was, you know, what we were being, what was being served to us. That's what we thought was the standard. And so I very much had like the blonde highlights and I was really just trying to fit in. And I've told this story before, but I remember going to the mall with my friend who had blonde hair and blue eyes. And, you know, I, I mean, maybe you guys don't know this because I don't, I don't know if you did this as a kid, but you would get your makeup done at the mall. Don't know and, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not sure this is a shared experience. But for someone listening, you know, we go to the mall, you sit at the makeup counter at like, I think it was like Sears or JC Penny. It was JC Penny. It was JC Penny. And you go and you sit down and you get your makeup done. And I remember very distinctly, one, never seeing anyone in those ads or, you know, on in the makeup counters that looked like me. And two, when they would do my my blonde friend with, you know, my white friend, she would just, I thought she looked like a movie star. And then when they did me, I was like, why do I look like this? Because my eyes are different. And back then it was very much like this certain way of like doing makeup that didn't fit my eye. It wasn't made for me. And so I always left feeling like, Ugh, like yeah. why, like, why isn't this for me? You know? And that was, it was, and as a young kid having that feeling, I don't think I could really wrap my head around it. But looking back, I'm like, wow, that really did shape me because I was like, Oh, I am different. That Like they don't know how to do my makeup. My eyes are different. I physically look different. There's something different about me. And so I didn't want that. Like I didn't, it was not cool to be different back then. Now, like you were saying, like, I'm so proud. Like I, I am learning more and more and I've started kind of on this journey, rekindling this relationship with my father and trying to understand him and his culture and why he did the things he did. And, you know, I think to be my best self, I have to understand that part of me and love that part of me and represent that part of me. And I think that's the way that I'm really going to feel the most full. I think it's so cool how like when we're kids, all we want to do is fit in and like be like everyone else and like feel so much safe, like safety and security. And then kind of as you get older, I feel like you kind of realize that that's less cool. Right. And like you start to build a relationship with yourself and become more secure and like things like that. And then ultimately it's like now hearing you guys speak, I'm like, now that's like your guys like superpower, right? Like that's what makes you so special. That's what makes you unique. And you end up doing a complete like 180 from that like inner child perspective and just wanting to be like, no, I like I'm me. And like, that's so fucking cool. And like, there's no one else like me. And like, I don't want to be like anyone else. I have my own, my own energy. It's like, it's a really, it's a cool shift. I feel like, and and the more kids, like, I think it could be really powerful for people to start to realize that, like, as a kid and just how much more, how much better, like, a lot of people would feel about themselves to not have to go through that time where they're, like, holding back what they really like or what they really think just because it's, like, they have to go in line with, like, the popular kid or something. It, like, yeah, it's cool to think about. For sure. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I love that, like, you guys are letting me even have this conversation because, if someone felt that way and was listening or, you know, wherever they are at their stage and the stage in their life, I hope that like they can feel that too, that that difference, whatever makes them different is their superpower. Cause I wish I would have had that at an earlier part of my life, you know? 
Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that's what we talk about on the show is like everyone's experience is different, but like they are very similar in many ways. And like we all share like the same feelings and, and like thoughts, at, especially at the earlier stages of life. I loved uh, what you were saying, like how obviously you didn't realize all these things as like a kid. Right. And then we get older and like whatever we learn what mental health even is or like we start to practice self-care and like mindfulness and all these things. And then it's like now we're unpacking all of this and like everything is kind of <laughs> making sense and we're we're contextualizing everything. Uh, one of my favorite things to ask people is like when when do you feel like you had your first like conscious mental health experience or like when you really learned what that was? I know that you were kind of saying when you were younger, like you didn't even know the effect. But when do you feel like you kind of became aware of it? It's so interesting because we really never got to have these conversations. There was not a conversation around mental health when we were growing up. Right. And it, uh, again, wasn't until later in life where I recognized like, you know, I, my senior year, I was, I've been so embarrassed about it my whole life. I had really bad panic attacks and I didn't, there, that wasn't a thing. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that wasn't something people talked about. That wasn't a thing at all. And I experienced really bad panic attacks um, my senior year and this kid and unbeknownst to my friends and, and, you know, people at school, I had a really bad panic attack at home and my mom had to call the ambulance cause I couldn't calm myself down. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but it's just yes. like, I felt like I was having a heart attack and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm 17. I'm dying. Like I could not calm myself down. I didn't have the tools. I didn't know what was happening to me. And my mom didn't know what to do to calm me down. So she had to call an ambulance and I stayed in the hospital because when it's, when it's a panic attack or something, they have to like observe you to make sure you're not going to hurt yourself, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I had to stay in a hospital, I think for like 24 hours or something like that. And I didn't tell anyone and my mom didn't tell anyone. I mean, you know, we, we kept it to ourselves. And that next week when I was at school, a kid brought a weapon to school. So I'm in this fragile state where I'm not able to calm myself down and I'm in Spanish class. And all of a sudden they're like, we're locking down. This is not a drill. We're locking down. And this is, and this was probably, this was 2007. And so we're like, Oh my God, we don't know what it is. We don't know if it's a gun. We don't, you know, we don't know what's happening yeah. all. We just have to hide and we're all hiding and we're on our phones and I'm texting. I, for, I feel like I was texting like one of my ex-boyfriends at the time. And I was like, Hey, I'm freaking out. Like, I don't think I'm okay. Like, where are you? Like, I like I need someone with me. I'm really scared. And like, I could feel that feeling ramping up. And my feet, you know, my hands. I distinctly remember my hands going numb and starting to feel like prickly because I was like I couldn't catch my breath. And I think like the oxygen. I just very specifically remember that. And I was like, my hands are going numb. I don't think this is good. This is what happened last time. Like, I I don't know what to do. And I had to be walked down to the guidance counselor. Luckily, you know, it wasn't a gun. No one was seriously injured. It was just like, he had this like knife or machete. I don't, I can't even recall because it was so traumatic, but they had to like wheel me out and on a stretcher. Cause like I couldn't calm myself down. And then the news journal is outside because the police were called to our high school. It's a huge deal. And they see this kid being wheeled out on a stretcher and my picture ended up on the front page of the news journal. Oh my God. Traumatic enough. Like, are you fucking kidding right. me? And I am, yes, I have my theatrics and yes, I can be a mercurial dramatic person. I understand that about myself, but that was not a moment where I was trying to seek attention. And because I hadn't had that conversation, because there was no conversation surrounding something like happening like that to a kid everyone thought that I was just trying to make it about me and trying to be dramatic and like have this whole right. thing. And really, I'm really suffering. Yeah. And I was so traumatized from that. Like it's taken me till now I was 17. I'm 32. Now it's taken me up until this point in my life where I can even tell you guys this and not be completely mortified yeah. because the whole town was talking about it. And I just was like, I was, mortified. I was like, how am I going to show my face at school again? Like everyone thinks that I'm like, you know, just being ridiculous. And yeah. so a long winded way of, you know, bringing it back around to that was truly the first time that I was like, Oh, 
or experiencing something that related to my mental health and not being able to have the tools or the, the support or the community or whatever, you know, all of the great things that, that we have now. And so I kind of just, I suppressed it and I just was like, this isn't a thing for you. You're not going to talk about it, you know? And I kind of just found a way to calm myself down in the years moving forward. When I started feeling those feelings again, I just, I don't know. I, I, in my head, I just found a way to talk myself out of it. I don't even remember what the original question was, but. So did you ever go, uh, yeah, you never worked with like any professional or like seeked any like real advice on like how to deal with these panic attacks or like I get any sort of prescriptions or anything. I did get a prescription and I never used it. Yeah. Um, and there was like a therapist, psyche, psyche, psych, psychiatrist, psychiatrist, yeah, whatever, uh, in, in our town. And I went once and I was like, I just wasn't there. Yeah. Like, I was like, I can't talk about this. Totally I like, this is a waste of my time and money. I was like, I, I very much, I think as a way of self-preservation and survival, I very much kept my walls up for a long time. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not talking about this. Like, this is stupid. This isn't going to help me. Like, I'm good. I got this. Like, and I think that was a little bit in part of my mom not giving enough space to feel sadness because she didn't ever want me to feel like my life was sad or I was missing out because of X, Y, and Z in my life. Yeah. So now I can see that had we created a little bit more space for me to be like, I'm sad because, or I miss my dad, or I'm feeling nervous. It kind of was like survival mode for her as a single parent going, you're good. You're good. We're good. We're going to get through this. We're fine. Everything's okay. And as great of a message as that was, now I can see that like, I didn't ever really allow myself to be like, I'm scared. I'm sad. It was just survival mode. We're going to succeed full, full speed ahead. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think allowance is, is the perfect word. Like parents giving their children the ability to like feel those emotions and know that they're okay. Like I don't have kids, but like, I just imagine the last thing you ever want is like for your kid to feel sad or or scared or like, or any of those things. Right. So you try and create a world where like those things don't really exist. And I feel like that's a lot of how traditional parenting was. And, and kind of like I was saying at the beginning of the episode, like what I'm optimistic about is just like even people like us, right. It seems like when we hopefully all have kids, like giving our kids the freedom and ability to like feel those things and like letting them learn that like there's some days that aren't going to be good where you're going to feel sad and like that's totally okay and like we can talk about those and we can learn a lot of great stuff from them and like they'll really help us in the long run and then they'll make us appreciate like the happy days too right that's literally the whole meaning of like mad happy and like what our brand means yeah i also think i also was very similar which is like anything like bad that would happen I, i thought that the right way was just to be like it's fine. Like, let's just move on and like, you know, be like overly like positive or optimistic instead of just like really take like the feelings in or whatever. And sitting with it. Yeah. And since I started therapy, I feel like I look back at that stuff now more. And then also like when I am not feeling good, you know, random days of the week, like I can accept that more than just like trying to like push through it. I'm wondering then like, how did, you know, then you move to LA, like, how did that journey evolve for you? Like as you moved to LA, as you started like working and, and all those sorts of things. Yeah. I, I moved to LA and it's really weird. Cause I, I immediately felt at home here and I, and I was like, this is where I'm meant to be. I never had moments where I was like, Oh, I'm so homesick. I wish, you know, I, you know, I miss this. I miss that. I was so deep in it and so thrilled to be here. And so optimistic and excited about the possibilities of living here and and what I could accomplish that I just hit the ground running. And I mean, I, it was a long, it was a long, weird road for sure from when I moved here to where I am now. But then I also think it, you know, the other side of this is like having that you've got this, just keep going you, you know, you, you, you can do anything that kind of coaching, I guess you would say like in life really came in handy when I'm out here by myself with $500 and I know not a soul and I've got to figure it out for myself. It kind of was just like a larger version of what I had experienced 
back in Ohio, but just on a grant, a more grand scale, I guess. What was your first, uh, what was your first job when you came here? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh gosh, my first job was, you can tell us, don't worry. I, I know. I was, no, it's a great job. I, I, I loved it. I met some great people. I was the front desk girl at Gold's Gym Hollywood. Oh, wow. And I. Is it I, still there? I, I don't know if oh, I know yeah. that one. Yeah. I, I only know like the Venice it's, one. This guy only knows Equinox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely still there. Um, yeah. I was sleeping on someone's couch across the street. Um, someone that like a friend of a friend was like, Hey, this girl's out of town. You can sublet her couch. And I was like, cool, perfect. Awesome. I was sleeping on her couch and I walked across the street and I was like, Hey, you guys hiring? (laughs) And I got a job and I worked like the 5am and the 6am shift. And that was brutal because if everyone who knows me knows I'm not a morning person, can't do it. Wish I could pray that I could be it's not me. Yeah. Um, and I did that while I got a go-go dancing job uh, in West Hollywood. So I was a go-go dancer for a couple of years. And I did both of those simultaneously uh, for a while. Yeah. And, and as you're, as you're doing that, like, are you feeling like, oh, like, like, you know, like sort of like, this is like my path. Like I, I believe in myself and I'm just like going to keep going. Oh yeah. Open myself up oh, to I opportunities. Oh, I was like, I'm killing it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was killing it. I was like, I'm go-go dancing in West Hollywood. Like, hell yeah. <laughs> like, look at me. I fucking loved it. And I've got to tell I've got to say it was some of the funnest years of my life. And I met incredible, incredible people. And I, I absolutely loved it. I really did. I thought I was killing it and I was killing it for, you know, a small town girl. To, you know, I thought I got a gig, you know, I'm dancing. This is what I wanted to do. Yeah. I loved it. Sometimes I'm like, should I go back and like <laughs> do a, just do a set at a club just for old times sake. Yeah. It's cool. I think, uh, to like own wherever you are and just like be grateful, right? Like just really be grateful for the present and like be appreciative. I feel like a lot of younger people that I talk to like are very impatient and like kind of want everything yeah. very instantly. And I feel like it's even important for you to really share that part of your story too. Cause if someone just finds you and finds you on the show or they just see, Oh, well, this girl has a couple million followers or whatever. Like you kind of think that just happens yeah. like that. And like the truth of the matter is like, it really didn't. And like to be able really to like, didn't be working at Gold's and be a go-go dancer and like love that. Like that's nothing to be ashamed of, right? Like you're waking up, you're going totally. to work, you're doing something. Like I feel like that's a really important message for people to understand to just like be appreciative of their journey wherever they are. Absolutely. I got that advice very early on. Someone said, be happy where your feet are, you know? And I thought, oh my God, I love that. Mm. No matter, you know, whatever stage you're in, that's great. just like you got to be happy where your feet are. And, and I look back And it seems like lifetimes ago. I mean, when I tell you, like I had, and I'm so glad back then I didn't have social media because I think had I been looking in my peripherals to what other people were doing or it being fed to me every day when I turn on my phone, I think I would have, I think it would have been harder for me to enjoy and feel good about where I was because obviously it's, you're going to compare yourself like that. It's just, it's human nature. It happens. It is what it is. So I feel very lucky that at that time, I didn't have those distractions. I kind of had my blinders on and I was like, I'm exactly where I should be. I'm dancing. I'm getting an agent. I, you know, I have a job, like I'm out here on my own and I could own that and love it and be present and appreciate it. But in no way, shape or form was any of it fucking easy. I mean, I had my, someone broke into my car and then I had to have a trash bag over my window. Yeah. So I'm driving my car with a trash bag and cockroaches coming out of my shower, you know, like it was, it took years to get anywhere, but that is what is to be said about any good thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you've got to put your hours in, you've got to learn and, and fail. And, you know, I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. And everything uh, that's great takes a long time. I think if there's anything we've learned, it's about to be five years since we started Mad Happy and it just feels like still so early. Um, and before I would think like five years is like so much time. Um, it is pretty crazy. Uh, my question is like, you think about like what you're up to now and how you're thinking about like what you're going to do for your career over many, many years to come, I guess like how, how has that mind 
mindset changed over time or has it just adapted to like the new things you're passionate about the new areas you want to explore in your life yeah I think I think it's been a constant it's been just I've had this constant evolution of like one one door opening and just me take me saying yes and that leading to something that was never something I was ever going to do and then the next thing and and I just kind of let myself be open to any possibility and just kind of going with the natural things that were just coming my way um, and working hard at it, obviously. But I think weird, weirdly enough, my mindset's kind of gone back to where it was when I first moved out here. I mean, cause I got really caught up in shit and like social media and having this and having that and being somebody and like, you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? That's going to be great. How am I going to be larger than life and X, Y, and yeah. Z and and it started to deplete me. And I was like, I, I'm not loving what I'm doing. Like, I don't feel good. And now the past couple of years have been really difficult for me. I've gone through some intense life shit that has completely rocked my world and turned everything I know upside down. And I'm almost now back to that place where I'm like, I want to I have my blinders on. Like I, I want to do what makes me feel good. What makes me happy. And like, that's my only focus, like being able to push myself creatively to try new things to, you know, that feeling of nervousness when I moved out here, that's growth. You know what I mean? And I haven't had that in a really long time. I haven't pushed myself Mm. to explore something new. And I am now, and I feel that like that person again, that's like, Oh, I don't know. Am I going to make it? Like, is this going to work for me? Uh, Let's just try it. And, and doing it on my own time and on my own merit. And, and, and so I'm getting, I'm getting back to that person that just came out here with a dream and just wanted to, you know, make a good life for herself and, and be happy and present and, It takes work every day for sure, because there's all this stuff going on all around us, you know? And so to get sucked into all that is, it's a challenge every day, but I definitely feel like I'm getting back to myself for sure. Yeah, I can relate to that. I think uh, I definitely got caught up in just like autopilot mode a little bit. And we're just like, you know, if I just had a routine, I'd wake up, I'd go to work and just like kind of repeat and what you were just saying reminded me of like the Virgil quote that I love so much is like everything I do is for the 17 year old version of myself. Right. It's like what, what you're saying, which is like what I've been trying to do too, is like reconnect to like our inner child and like rediscover that curiosity and that excitement and, and that nervousness. And it's, it's hell of a lot scarier than the autopilot mode, but ultimately it's more true to ourselves and, and really more fulfilling and, and allows us to like look at the full spectrum of life. But I'm interested, uh, you were kind of talking about getting swept up in everything. You got swept up in, I'm sure, fame and, and working for one of the most famous people on earth, obviously. Like, what what was it about that experience and, and the social media that you kind of talked about that that had such, like, a negative impact on, on your mental health? I think I just started getting lost in other people and, like, what, you know, especially when you work so closely with someone, it's like, her life became my life, her, you know, and I, and mm-hmm. I, I just feel like I kind of lost myself. And then throwing social media into the mix, you're like, Oh, should I be like that person? Or like, that's what, that's what everybody else is doing. Maybe am I supposed to be doing that? Maybe I should be dressing like this. Maybe I should be talking like this. Maybe I should be posting like this. Yeah. And then I, it was a confusing time because it was like just starting to take off as I'm like exploring all these things and, and working, you know, where I was working and, and then even getting to know myself, you know, I was like 27, like 25, 27, all of these benchmark places where I knew nothing about nothing, you know? So it's easy to, to kind of, you know, sway and get moved from here to there. Um, and I just one day was like, ah, like, I don't know who I am. Like I'm all of these different people and none of it feels like it's me. Yeah. And it took a lot of therapy and a lot of, you know, work and I still do it to try and, you know, stay rooted in like who I am and who I want to be. But it's, it's, I don't want people to think like, it's like 
all of a sudden you're like, I'm good. Like, I know who I am. Like, it's, you know, like, I wish it were that simple, <laughs> you know, but it's constant. It's every, it's literally every single day, you know, yeah, reflecting, having those conversations, doing the work. Um, Cause it's not, it's not easy. Yeah. And, and what I think has... that, did that answer your question? Sorry. Yeah. No, I, I don't even know what my question was really. I just think it's interesting. <laughs> like we always kind of ask people like how they've dealt with fame or if they even like feel famous or like the impact that that's had on mental health. And then we obviously talk a lot about like social media and like how it can really be such a, such a blessing in some ways worst. and like such a curse in other ways. Um, totally. I know that like I've, I've totally. struggled with it a lot. Um, but I was just kind of like psychoanalyzing you while you were just saying that. And it like reminded me of what I said of like when you're in school, like and you're trying to be like everyone else. Right. Like that's what I heard from you. And yeah. now you're kind of pivoting back the other way. I'm like that. That's just the cycles of life. <laughs> it not it so crazy? Like I'm always like everything I truly when you think about it, everything I've learned about like Hollywood, I learned in high school. Yeah. Like it's. It's just like a replica in a <laughs> the different dynamics packaging. Are, are exactly the same. Yeah. 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 And, and you talked about therapy a little. I'm wondering now, you know, how do you think about, you know, taking care of yourself? Like, you know, like how do you think about doing the, the work, like you said, on a consistent basis? What does that look like for you? Yeah. I, I mean, I love, I, I, therapy for me has been a godsend. I, I really, it's been such a great outlet for me. I keep up with it biweekly, if not weekly. Sometimes I have, I lost my mom at the end of 2020. So I have been in grief and bereavement therapy, which is really with someone specifically. That's what we talk about. That's what he, his specialty is. He's so amazing. It's been so helpful for me to have that space to cry and be sad and whatever I need to talk about and let it out. And, and so I've been doing that, um, mm for the past year. And I went to the Hoffman process. Oh my God. I'm sure. I, classic, keep, yeah, just like, I keep hearing about it, but we haven't done it. But. Have you, you guys haven't done it. Okay. Yeah. I was just going to say, I was like, I feel like the thing, like you're like the vocabulary you use and the yeah. way, like, I'm like, you would very much like it would plug in really effortlessly yeah. and seamlessly. It was, I went at the beginning of 2020 before the pandemic, February, 2020. Good timing. Yeah. And it, it changed my life. And, and, and I don't want people to think it's in an overnight way changes your life. Yeah. But like, since I've gone, it's changed who I am and how I express my feelings and the emotional vocabulary that I now have and the vulnerability that I now feel like I can let myself have and breathe in. And it introduced so many things to me and has changed my life in such a positive way, I highly, highly recommend doing a type of retreat like that. It doesn't have to be Hoffman, but anything like that where you're again, taken out of your comfort zone and you know, you go and like you turn your phone in, you don't know anyone, you don't know, you, you don't use your real name. You don't tell people what you do. It's completely a space where you can just immerse yourself in the process. And it was a, it was a life-changing thing for me to do for myself, whether or not, you know, it, it would have continued and like changed my life, but just yeah. going the step of going and like putting myself out there in a way that I never would have done before. Um, I was really proud of myself for doing that. Yeah. That's, oh, that's amazing. amazing. I went, uh, I went to a treatment a facility like three years ago, uh, when I got sober and, and, and had a really similar experience of just like really, leaving reality and like going to a place to just work on yourself like 24 7 and and one of the things that i realized when i left was like wow like everybody could use this right and like from what i understand about hoffman it's like a lot of people think that you go away is like something really bad has to happen or you have to be a drug addict like all these things but really just just unlocking that like emotional toolbox like you were talking about and like looking at our life and 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 kind of processing these traumas and putting some of the pieces together like are just things that everyone could benefit from and i feel like that's a little bit of of what we try and do on the show as well and maybe one day i'll i'll hit the process you have to (laughs) please let please let me know if you do because i really think you guys would like it no i keep i mean i know you would yeah keep hearing about it so dude you should do it it. means something for sure yeah no i definitely will (laughs) um 
Okay, Steph, our final two questions we ask everyone. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Uh, the first one is if you could nominate anyone to come on the show, whether you know them or not, that has just an impactful story um, about their mental health, about their journey, who would it be? Um, I would nominate, I know who I, I would nominate Taylor Page because she's an incredible human. She is just a great person and has a great story. And we're very much aligned in, you know, doing the work in the way that we are trying to be our best spiritual selves and everything. So I would nominate Taylor. Our last question is what makes you mad happy? What makes me mad happy? Man, um, my dog makes me mad happy. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I know, and I wish I could think of something fucking better. But like, no, he, honestly, he is, he's my emotional support animal. Like, he really, really, truly is. I honest, I really, I know that he was brought into my life at the time that he was for a reason. And if you're a dog person listening, I know that you get it because they are like little angels in our lives. And I know if you're not a dog owner, you probably think that we're crazy, but he is the best thing to happen to me in a long time. Um, he makes yeah. me mad happy. Awesome. Well, thanks again so much for coming on and just sharing your story and opening up about some of those things. These these conversations uh, to us are like really, really important and like we truly believe can can change the world, honestly, and how a lot of people think so. We appreciate your time and thanks. Thank you guys. I really appreciate having this open forum to be able to share this stuff. It's really, it's like cathartic as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So yeah. thank you. Those are, those are the best episodes always. Well, thank we you do. everyone and we'll talk soon. Thank you all so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode with Steph. We want to remind everyone and even ourselves that mental health is an ongoing process and is something that takes daily work. For more information on how to get support, please check out localoptimist.com backslash podcast. As always, if you want to support the show, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts and tune in next week for more conversations about mental health. The Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism.